what a privilege to open up God's Word, you know, to have that note written in Phil's journal and then to be able to open up God's Word. You know, if you knew Phil, you knew she had a real love for the Bible. Not only would she read the Bible, but she would often make notes, as we've seen, notes to help her focus her thinking, but also reminders, encouragements for another day. I wonder if she realised when she wrote that note, that note that we see up on the on the board there, I wonder if she knew when she wrote that, that it would be an encouragement for us today. So before we open up the text and think about that note that Phyllis has written for us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you will soften our hard hearts and open our deaf ears to hear the good news of the gospel and to be encouraged as we grieve. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen. So there you see that handwritten note, and it's these words here that Jessica just read for us. It's important to look back on our lives, especially troubled times. But when looking back, look at the positives. Look at God's goodness, his faithfulness, his answering of his promises. Not on the negatives, not on the why me, the poor me, etc. Now, it was Socrates who said, a life unexamined is not worth living. It's true, isn't it? A life unexamined is not worth living. Very much in line with what Phil is written here for us. Now, before we open up the Bible passage that prompted this note, a brief background. If you're not familiar with the Bible, then uh, what was read was probably just a whole bunch of words. Uh, So it's always good to have some historical context. So when this passage was written, was the end of 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness in the desert. 40 years before this passage was written, uh, Moses was raised up by God to free God's people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. And at that time, there was miracle after miracle. There was the ten plagues that led to the escape and the crossing of the Red Sea. And then for the last 40 years, there was manna from heaven every day. There was this flour-type substance that the Israelites were able to gather and bake bread. But quickly, even early on, within the first 12 months of their journey, God's people grew impatient and they rebelled. And they decided they wanted to go back to slavery. And they started to choose other gods and turn their back on the God that had rescued them. And so, instead of a trip from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land that would last just a couple of months, it took them 40 years to travel that distance because they had a lesson to learn, a hard lesson to learn. And this is what this passage is all about. Because Moses is speaking God's word to his people as they stand at the threshold to a new land, a land of plenty, a land where God wants them to flourish, a land where God wants them to be the best that they can, they stand on the threshold of new possibilities. And so God says through Moses these words, and we see this in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know that what was in your heart whether or not 
you would keep his command. And it wasn't as if God knew in their heart, it was to test them so that they would know in the heart, in their hearts, whether they would follow God. Now it's interesting that as God is about to lead them into the promised land, that he leads his pep talk, he leads it, not with the good things in the last 40 years he's done. God could have said, remember your rescue from slavery. He could have said, uh, remember all the marvellous provision of food and water in the desert. He could have said, remember your protection where I kept you well and your clothes did not wear out these past 40 years. Well, no, he saves that for later. He begins by reminding them of the lessons that they learnt in the tough times, how God had tested their rebellious hearts, how God had used difficult times to humble their pride and shape them to being better people. And on top of this, top of this, he reminds them how they are learning to trust in God's word. And we see this in verse 3. God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, it took 40 years to hammer this home, not only to humble their hearts, but to teach God's people how they needed to rely on God's word, on him and his word. They needed more than physical bread, even miraculous bread from heaven. They needed more than that to sustain them. They needed God's word. As Phil found out, like God's people, Phil and ourselves learn from our tough times. This is what Phil's asking us today. Not to throw a pity party as we mourn her, not to remember in our grief with woe, moaning and woe is me and isn't this terrible, but to instead to take the positives out of our tough times. The positive for the Israelites was a humble heart and a greater reliance on God. They were to learn that things are so tough we cannot trust ourselves, we must trust God. And you know, if we, if Phil was here and we were to ask her what she learned, I think she would have said something very similar. She would have learned that over the years and the tough times, I learned that I couldn't do this myself, I needed God. And so she learned to rely and trust in God. No wonder she loved this passage. No wonder she felt that it was hers. And still, some of you may think, well, this is all lovely and well and good, but what's the motivation? I mean, why would Phil trust in a God that allowed tough times in the first place? If God was good and all-powerful, surely he would protect Phil and all of his people from difficult times. I mean, isn't that what God's all about? It's a bit of a contract. You know, it's God, I'll keep my nose clean, pop into church now and again. And your part of the bargain is to keep difficult times from me. Or if a difficult time comes, you'll keep it short and clean and tidy. Surely that's what our relationship with God is all about. But actually, that's not how God works. He's not interested in a contract where we do something and he responds. What he's interested in is in a relationship. And we see this in verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a father, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. We can use the word guide here just as easily. Know then in your heart that as a man, as a father guides his son, 
so the Lord your God guides you. You see, at its core, God wants a father-child relationship with us. He's not interested in a contract. He's not interested in a deal where we'll do a certain amount of good things and not be too grumpy at our neighbour. We won't kick the cat. Pop into church now and again. He's not, in, and then he'll look after us. God's not interested in that sort of contract. He's interested in knowing us as a beloved father loves their dear children. That's the relationship he wants. And I believe this is the motivation that Phil had, that over the years she learned to delight in her heavenly father and to find that nourishment for her soul, especially in those anxious moments. This is why we read in her notebook these words. It's important to look back on our lives, especially the troubled times. And there are people here who will know that Phil went through some troubled times. You may even have walked with her through those troubled times. But her words to us are this. But when looking back, look at the positives. God's goodness, faithfulness and his answerings of his promises. And Phil was able to do this because she knew God as her heavenly father and that he only allowed tough times into her life for a reason. And that reason was for her good. When we have Christ at the centre of our life, no pain need be wasted because God will turn it into his good and our good. She knew the promise in Jeremiah 29.11 to be true for her. God said, For I know the plans I have for you, Phil, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And this promise is available to every one of us who would look to Christ as our Lord and Saviour, because it is Jesus who opens the door to the Father heart of God. He made this very clear in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Jesus, we can know the Father heart of God. And with this rock-solid truth comes an invitation from Jesus himself, an invitation in Matthew 11 that says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And some of us are very weary at the moment, wearied with grief and, and loss, and we miss fill and our heart breaks. And there's an emptiness that only those who have lost a loved one know. And these are words of life to you. I'll read it again. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What an amazing invitation. What an awesome promise. A blessing upon blessing available to all those who look to Christ. But there's a catch. And this is the catch. It takes a humble heart, a soft heart, to recognize these words to be true. For if our hearts are independent, if our hearts are proud, well, they have no time for a Jesus who humbled himself to death on the cross. If you are independent in your soul of souls, you fight for every scrap that you deserve, 
that when you come to the good news of Jesus, it doesn't sink in deep. However, to all those who have a humble heart, when they hear what Jesus did, there's a stirring, a fluttering of the heart. Really? Did Jesus die for me? But you can only hear that if you have a humble and soft heart. And this is why God allows tough times into your life. Each one of us knows deep in our heart what it's like to struggle. And the invitation today is not to waste that because God allows difficult times into our life to humble us so when we hear about Jesus' death on the cross and our Heavenly Father's great love, then we respond. Tough times humble the proud and bring us to a place where we can hear the words of Jesus. Words like this, and this is what I'll finish with. Another invitation. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Because in each one of us, there is a God-shaped void. A hole that cannot be satisfied until Jesus comes in. Now, we may fill that with distractions. We may fill that with addictions. We may fill this void with good things, or we may fill this void with dark things. But until Christ is invited into your heart, there will always be a void and a sense of loss. You see, this is what Phil found out, that her heavenly Father would fill that void and give her a great joy and peace. Wouldn't Phil be thrilled if you took up that invitation today? Let's pray.